and the way I see it, um, I think no matter who you're talking to, um, to be a good neighbor is to, I think there's kind of two things, at least my, from my perspective. A, right, like uh, knowing that, man, we've got something really cool here that we want to defend and maintain, uh, whether that's our physical neighborhood or a group of friends or work or whatever, and that it can be even better five and 10 and 20 years from now and like chasing that. But then B, um, like Nate said, like being like Chuck, inviting people into your home, you know, metaphorically or literally or whatever. Well, welcome back to Neighboring, a podcast hosted by NeighborLink for Wayne, where we attempt to try to ask questions and figure out what does it mean to be a good neighbor. Uh, we are at Sweetwater Sound today with a couple of friends, Nate and Nate, and we're going to talk about Sweetwater Sound. Part of Neighboring isn't so much about trying to be a good neighbor physically or practically just in our neighborhood. What we've learned is neighboring happens all over the place, and in any context, you can be a good neighbor. And one of the one of the best conversations I like to have is with uh, workplaces and corporate environments where there's a lot going on and where individuals are trying to figure out what does it be a good neighbor in the context of work, not just at home. So thanks guys for being willing to be on the neighboring podcast and talking. Sweetwater is quite a place. It's quite an organization growing really rapidly. Lots of people. I imagine it's not, uh, really all that easy to be a neighbor in Sweetwater. You can kind of walk around like you can on the street and probably keep your head down and not interact with a whole lot of people other than in your job. So why don't you, uh, would love for you guys to fill in, tell us about Sweetwater, give us the, kind of the rundown, and then we'll hop into the conversation about neighboring because I, I think we have some, some good ideas and good topics to talk about today. Sure. So Nate, start, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about Sweetwater from your perspective. Sure thing. So I'm Nate Edwards, uh, sales manager at Sweetwater. I started at Sweetwater uh, in May of 2005 and I actually came here for the job from uh, Minneapolis, Twin Cities area. Um, and yeah, back then, 2005, we were back on Bass Road, the building that's now the Point Church. I think there was, I think we had about a hundred and, I think it was 198 total employees at that time, yeah. about 60 to 70 people in the sales crew. Um, fast forward, I mean, we're uh, well in excess of a thousand employees total here, I mean, 1500 plus. And, um, you know, we've got, I want to say, uh, 400 sales engineers now okay. uh, on the sales force. That's not even counting uh, account coordinators, admin, and stuff like that. Yeah. So the sales floor in, in its entirety, just my department is about 500 people, I think is, is safe to say. And yeah, so there's been a lot of growth, but it is it is interesting. Um, and this isn't just a, a trite kind of lip service thing. Like we have, I think, maintained really well, um, you know, kind of a family neighborhood kind of vibe here. It's super important to us and we try very hard every day to do that, so. Yeah, I wanna talk more about the culture and that neighborhood aspect. Nate, pleasure to meet you. This is the first time we've had a chance yeah, to meet. So pleasure to meet you as well. Thanks for having us on. Also, Nate as well, Nate Burkhart. Uh, just a sales engineer over here, but I've been with the company for three years now uh, with a bit of history before that in uh, another part of the country, but uh, just Sweetwater in general um, has blown me away for two things. I think Nate just kind of briefly mentioned it, but the ability to kind of keep the culture the same as when Chuck started it now that it's still growing rapidly fast because you see other companies just kind of implode when they're growing and they, so they spread themselves thin, but honestly, the fact that Sweetwater can 
keep this amazing culture alive that I'm so proud to work for um, as we've been growing like you know there's another 20 people or 25 people in training right now to take over you know the next batch of new clients coming in and they're able to do that still with um, them training given the right tools to use and it's pretty amazing to do that but also too just hats off to Chuck um, our CEO and owner for really setting the bar high enough I've, I've been in multiple different companies in this industry and it's so easy to just um, say negative things on other companies that cut corners or promo codes or anything like that just to try to race you know to sell brown boxes across the country but Chuck has raised the bar so high that I want to walk in his office every day and say thank you because it is unlike any other place on the planet like even when I was working as a you know competitor there's nothing bad you could say about Sweetwater and so it's just it's just amazing it's a lot of hard work to do that you know it's it, there's no easy road to get where Sweetwater is but I'm just incredibly proud to, to work for this company um, just for where it's going as well. So. Yeah, well, great. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, for, for you that's been here for almost 13 years or so and starting in one place and really almost quadrupling the amount of people that work just in your environment, what was, like the, what was the culture like when you started and how has that really uh, maintained since then? Yeah, um, so when we started, clearly a, a smaller company um yeah again i think there was with admin folks and stuff probably 70 80 people on the sales force so yeah we're, we're approaching i think yeah five times bigger um than back then and you know it, it was always fun right um everybody here loves the gear loves working with customers you know we're generally all musicians and technology geeks and stuff like that so there's some some amount of camaraderie that goes along with that and that's just a blast in itself um but uh you know, on top of that, we do have an amazing leadership team um, and just great people to work with. I mean, uh, when we talk about, um, you know, uh, culture and things like that, like, A, that comes from the top down and uh, the people who are leaders in the company have been around for so long and really exude the stuff that we, wanna, that, that we want to exude, so it's easy to just kind of follow along. Um, but B, people work here for a long time. Like, I've heard it said that in our industry, which is, you know, music instruments and uh, recording technology, that most stores you would uh, expect to have people um, stay in their role for an average of six, eight months. Yeah. But I want to say our average tenure is in the vicinity of five years oh. on the, in the sales department. Um, so, uh, you know, as it's grown, what, what's been cool about that is, I mean, you've got all this camaraderie. You've got... Uh, a lot of people who have been pillars for so long that it's just easy to know really what's what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's good, um, because you can just follow the person that you know that's sitting next to you, and you're they're going to be doing the right thing because that's a huge part of our you know culture, just doing the right thing for people, um, and it's kind of kept that uh, largely through I think um, the the values of you know autonomy for the salespeople and also uh, teamwork um, in, in that we divide into small you know, kind of compartments or teams that work together, not necessarily like uh, as competing teams, but as kind of support teams. Okay. At this point, we've got, I think, 40, 45 of those on the sales floor, so kind of wild. And those teams are called neighborhoods, right? Neighborhoods, yeah. So I was sitting in a meeting a little while ago uh, with some other folks here at Sweetwater, and the, and the topic comes up as uh, we embrace these things called neighborhoods inside our facility. And I was like, we got to talk more about that because I'm really curious what what the neighborhood structure is. Obviously, NeighborLink and what we're trying to do uh, in the community to facilitate 
uh, neighborhood development, it's always really curious when big companies have figured out how to break themselves down and look at that in one way. So talk to us in terms of like, what are these teams? Has neighborhoods always been the term or how did that come about? Yeah, neighborhoods have been the term since that whole, you know, concept rolled out here, which I think is in 2002. Okay. So we've been doing that for about 17 years. And um, it, I mean, it's evolved a bit over time. Sure. I mean, it, uh, at first, I think our um, chief sales officer, Jeff Radke, uh, had seen um, another company, and which one it was, escapes me, that, that had those kinds of divisions in their um, sales team. He was like, that's a cool idea. I'm, I want to run with that. And um, it was a little, maybe a little more nebulous in the beginning, but as time goes on, we see what works, what doesn't, and what, what is always at the core of it is the idea that, man, peer leadership, um, you know, just having people that are in it with you, um, you know, not lording stuff over you or anything like that, like that's really like the strongest thing that can help anybody along. And, and since we are a company that is in every aspect thinking long-term rather than you know, quick cash in, um, that's been huge because uh, you have a group of people, eight, 10, 12 people uh, in this neighborhood that are all looking out for one another and uh, they get to know one another. Um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. So in these neighborhoods, there's eight to 10 people. What's kind of the, the makeup or the breakdown of kind of a neighborhood? Sure. Um, well, it's a big variety of people. There's a bunch of stuff that we look into uh, to try to build neighborhoods, and that's a whole thing we do every year. We mix them up a bit. Sure. Teams that are working great, we try to keep together. Teams that could use a little, uh, a little change, we try to change that up. But you always have to keep recombining them and stuff because the, the floor is growing so quickly, and we uh, never want the teams to get so big that they're clumsy. You know what I mean? So usually eight to ten people is kind of the sweet spot for how a neighborhood year starts. And as time goes on, that'll end up being, you know, nine to 11 or 10 to 12 people by the end of the year okay. based on hiring. So um, there'll be two neighborhood leaders. Nate here is one of the neighborhood leaders. So, uh, you know, an exemplary salesperson who looks out for people and, and can, has a heart for teaching, that's, you know, optimal. And we've got two of those folks who are still doing the sales job, like all the, uh, all the normal sales stuff, but, um, Everybody in the area knows, like, I can come to this person for advice. They're going to give me some, you know, some good pointers and some uh, good leadership yeah. in general. And that's what that's all about. So, Nate Burkhardt, tell us about, like, you, you, you started working here about three years ago or so. What was that like from, for you coming into that? Was, that? was that culture attractive when you were interviewing? Did you, like, kind of as you get into it, what's been your experience? Uh, it's in, insanely attractive, yeah, because you know that there's a group of people. I think of like just the neighborhood leader in general. Like when I, when I was in incubation period, I had a hundred questions a day, and knew there's just someone there outside of just the normal sales training and stuff like that. There was someone I could just come to and, and talk to. So it's great to have that, um, and the the neighborhood in general is just such a great kind of example to uh, of life outside of here too, because when you are in that incubation process, you feel like you're getting to know these, these core people. There's 13 people in our group right now. I have two people in what we call Sweetwater University, which is the training program. Okay. And they're going through a ton of stuff through their normal eight hours here. And then afterwards, they just have you know, a ton of questions, whether it's internally or if it's you know, just product stuff, they have questions. And so you have someone you can go to. But on the flip side of that, when you've been here for a while and you actually take a day off or you're out of the office, your neighborhood is responsible for what goes on with your book of business. So if people are trying to get a hold of you, you always have someone there that's going to say, hey, I'll step in. I'll take 
you know, care of that customer for you. So you're on vacation or you're sick, you don't have to worry about it. Same thing, when you're working, you're going to be taking care of someone else's in your hood. That's part of the, you know, that's part of the job, right? So yeah. nobody's like, oh man, I've got to do this extra work. No, that's, that's awesome. I'll, I'll take pride in doing that and taking care of their customer because, you know, everyone else in your hood is taking care of you. So it's a, it's a beautiful example, actually, of of a successful business that can run not out of greed or I want to do my own thing, you do you. No, it's like, let's do this together. Let's build camaraderie. And we can even take that outside of work too where we, we hang out and do actually some pretty cool functions together. So so when when that's all working, you know, obviously you guys are going to talk about it from because you've really bought in and made personal investments. And I'm sure like anything you have to kind of pour into, you got to be open to it in a way. Yeah. What what happens is that is that, because of that structure, obviously it's there and it's important. Uh, how do you guys, in a way, kind of screen for for the neighborhood concept? I'm sure it's part of the interview process. If you can get along with people and are you going to buy in and like that whole process. But it seems like from your your tone that this neighborhood concept is really embracing in general. Like it's mostly it's more positive than than negative. Mm -hmm. Most people are coming in. What happens when it doesn't work? What What are kind of the breakdowns when it doesn't work? Is it yeah, sure. Life. It's a good question. Behavior. Yeah, yeah. Just what things can kind of throw a wrench in the cogs? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, fortunately, like our, our hiring process is super, super, super stringent. It's it's long. It's tough. So uh, I hope I speak for both of us. I, I felt pretty proud, you know, to to get into the Sweetwater family because everybody in the in our industry, like you know, they look at the company and they're like that's tough to get into. So. Already, we do the interview, um, we do personality testing, we do yeah. a variety of stuff, and, and definitely like people with you know, um, high ethics and high ability to work with other people, is, that's huge. Um, so usually the, the thing jives pretty well. Usually I would say you know, the breakdown happens, I think it is life, it's usually stuff outside of work when, when people are overwhelmed by one thing or another because everything kind of bleeds, uh, bleeds into work. And, and uh, you know, as a manager, and, and I was a neighborhood leader for years leading up to that too, um, and I bet Nate feels this way as a neighborhood leader, we do have to look out for people, and, and when, when people start slipping or, or, you know, when you start to get that vibe, man, maybe everything isn't um, great with this person, like, we, we, we do have to make ourselves available and, and, and try to do what we can. Yeah. Well, that's an important part of community, right? Like, you know, if you go in whatever communities you're choosing to be be a part of, whether that's the circle of friends you've had forever or the neighborhood that you live in or uh, the things outside of work, there's community is difficult. Life happens, life changes. And yeah. it's really interesting in a workplace, especially in a culture, like when you're trying to embrace culture of creating space for life to happen and recognizing that, that there, there are more factors at play at work than just yeah. the work. Yeah, and I think Nate touched on a big thing with that too, the, the give and take, right? Like when I'm not in the office as a sales engineer, you know, people are looking after my customers. When they're not there, I'm looking at, after their people. But, you know, all of us too have been through a variety of life stuff. And I know that people will step in and help me out too. You know, it's a great team that, you know, um, looks out for one another. So that's some real stuff. I think too on that, um, just what Nate was saying, just like how crazy the processes of getting in is really not necessarily like if you're going to sell things well, that's that's important, of course. But like also, are you going to be able to kind of fit into our workflow and, and kind of match the DNA of, of Sweetwater? I, I personally had, you know, as I was a sales manager um, in Orange County, 
for many years and I had someone under me that I thought would be a great fit and um, was like hey you know check out Sweetwater I mean this is what it's done for me and my family it's a great place at least take a look at it and went through the application process I mean unbelievable salesman chops product knowledge but he pretty much came to the table saying hey this is what I can offer Sweetwater this is what I can do for your company and it's just not a good fit right I mean it's just kind of a, a great example of like no matter you know what you can do on on the sales end that's great but you really have to bring this idea or this mindset of like let's do the best thing possible for our customers and those around us first and then you know then you can take care of yourself after yeah. that so interesting how many new people are kind of joining the sales force area each month these days a bunch um uh, yeah so basically every every six weeks we have a new class um in Sweetwater University, which is our training program. And, and basically it's made of two modules. There's two six-week modules with a week of, of um, practical application between. So every 13 weeks, um, 13 weeks is the whole uh, uh, length of the, the entire thing. So every six weeks we've got, you know, optimally about 15 people rolling out onto the sales floor every six weeks. Um, generally, I think we're, we're filling classes up to 12, 13, 14, 15. Um, so yeah, you can expect every month, 25-ish yeah. new people coming onto the floor. And uh, it's funny too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I came from Minneapolis, you're from California, right? And um, it's funny, like I came right out of recording school too, a, a pretty good one. And I'm like, Sweetwater University, that sounds so quaint, a little <laughs> retail training thing. Yeah. And it, would, it annihilated me. It's, it's really an in intense training session. Sure. So. But uh, so coming, going through a bit of a screening process, getting a job, going through the university, and then stepping onto a floor with 500 other sales engineers has to be intimidating no matter how much confidence that you have or experience, like, especially if you've moved across the country uh, to rural Indiana, uh, northeast Indiana, to this big company, even though all of the, all, a lot of the check boxes are met if you got that far. How has the role of the neighborhoods so played a part in, in kind of that transition period? So I think so much from my experience of like really making the transition is the immediacy of the relational connectivity. Like you got to feel like you got to be a friend, especially in a sales kind of role. And I know you guys approach sales a little bit differently than a lot of other companies, but there's still uh, high, there's still a lot going on with that. And so that can a lot of pressure early on. How does the neighborhoods help with that adjustment period or how have you seen that help? I, I think it helps out a ton. And just from my personal experience, because um, you think of you know rolling out as we call it, when you're done with your training and you're ready to kind of hit the sales floor and, and do your thing, that's, you know, you're a couple months into Sweetwater, so you kind of get the culture, but then you're like, how is this going to work? And they yeah. call it the Sweetwater pace. You just got to go out running. And so if you think about it as like if there were no neighborhoods, it was just one sales force and you're just kind of let out to the flock, you're by yourself. I mean, there's a bit of isolation there. You sure. can kind of feel like I'm going to try to do this thing. Or if you're flat out and you're into these kind of these more little kind of gated communities, if you will, and you're, you know, you have 14 people looking out for you and kind of walking you through that. Like, Hey, I made this mistake as well. Like, let's yeah. do it this way. Like, Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And also there's, this is kind of a brotherhood feeling like, Hey, let's do this together. Like no one's left behind. So it's kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, uh, 
I don't know if it's a different mindset, you know, when you're just rolling out because you know that you're not going to be left alone. You know, even when you're coming out, you're constantly in these coaching sessions as well saying, hey, this is what you're doing. Great. That's, keep that up. But let's, yeah. let's work on this. And so it's like, oh, yes, let's do that better because there's just certain things that work really well here. And so if you are surrounded by people that are encouraging you, it just makes it that much easier. I bet. I bet. Do you guys do anything environmentally to help facilitate the neighborhoods in terms of like how how people's desks are connected and if moves and you switch neighborhoods, like what does what does environment look like yeah. to help facilitate this stuff? You would have <laughs> you would not believe the amount of uh, of planning that goes into this annual move. Like uh, it, it's wild. I mean, there's what, I think 10 people ish on the sales management team, uh, including uh, um, uh, some of the sales admin folks who are really um, important in doing this stuff. But we have probably, I don't know, four, five, six staff meetings that are largely like figuring out how this is going to work next year. Like first we've got to figure out, okay, we, we've got these ballots, everybody votes on neighborhood leaders. Great, we, now we have our crew, so who's gonna work best with whom leadership wise? Okay, that'll take us six hours to chew through. Now, uh, who's, who's gonna work well with them as a team, right? What are the other six or seven or eight people with them? And then, we get that done. Now we've got maps and it's like, you know, it feels like an old war room. Like we've got these huge sure. papers out and we're moving stuff around. Um, so we try to do everything we can to facilitate, you know, everything from eye contact between people to like, yeah. you know, uh, we've got so many different people. Like we've got soft talkers and loud talkers uh, and like trying to figure out like where to put people so they can communicate and feel yeah. comfortable and, yeah. and get good work done and stuff. So, so there's, a lot, there's a lot to it. A lot to figuring out the environment, but that switches and molds and changes with, uh, with the team. You mentioned uh, just there that I didn't, hadn't heard yet, but the, the idea there's a voting on the neighborhood leader. So how to talk about it, it's a very democratic process. Like who's, is it just like once a year, everyone's putting in who needs to be a neighborhood leader? So if your neighborhood had, could have five leaders out of it, for the next year or does that one neighborhood just end up having either keeping the same leader or a different leader it's a great question so um people are encouraged to submit a number of votes it's not just one yeah. so we end up with this excel spreadsheet right that's just uh real deep that'll have all 400 plus you know this year 400 plus people on it um and and sorted by the number of votes they got then we have to figure out how many how many do we need? Because we have an optimal size of the neighborhood. So those are, you know, everything kind of hinges on that. So if we have 45 neighborhoods, we'll need 90 leaders. So we're going to look at the, you know, the top 90. Um, also, we ask those people if, if they're interested in it. Because, sure. you know, some people um, are really wired to, to do that leadership, peer leader thing. And some people, like, maybe don't want to have so much to do with it, which is fine. Um, uh, those are definitely in the minority. But we give them an opportunity to say, ah, maybe not. Maybe that's not my thing. So then we take that list and uh, uh, basically we have to, it's not like um, one neighborhood is gonna have a larger number of leaders or anything yeah. like that. We've gotta just distribute it, two leaders per neighborhood and it's largely an organic thing, just trying to figure out, did their team work really well together last year? Sweet, how much of that can we keep together? Yeah. And it's always a challenge, right? Because if you have two uh, strong leaders, I mean, even like a more senior person who has a more junior person that maybe came in with them last year and they're like, oh my gosh, they've grown so much. You want to keep them together, but is this junior person now ready to go out, right? And lead their own yeah. team or, or whatever. Sure. Um, so it's, it's a pretty organic process. Right. And it's really just based on the interplay of people. Yeah. That's it. 
So are there, is this just part of the culture and part of the expectations? Are there incentives or reward systems or anything like that that plays into the, to the neighborhoods in terms of, you know, if you're a leader, you have these set of things that allow you to kind of do whatever. Is there part, some of that part in, in it? I know like from one of the things we're learning a lot about neighborhood associations, like out in the community, uh, we're studying a handful of neighborhoods and looking at like what makes a democratic process work in an environment where it's nobody's responsibility to play. Uh, no one has to be a part of the neighborhood association and in many neighborhood associations or really clubs in general, member-based clubs, the leadership is always the struggle because what's in it for me? What's the incentive? What keeps me connected? What's the value proposition? And a workplace is different, obviously, because you're connected, your paychecks, there's, there's certain things we play a part of, but when there's things over and above what is required to me in terms of how I'm being monitored or managed. So I'm curious, are there things like that or is this just because the culture is so ingrained, it just works now? I think that there are a few, like a handful of just perks of being a, a neighborhood leader, but honestly, the big reward is just honestly being that role. Um, when people are rolling out and people are needing you for information and just be like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do in this situation. That's a great feeling to, as a teachable moment, be like, hey, let's do this, because they're going to then in six months teach someone else you know, about that. So I love that. And kind of the same with, like, you're asked to teach a lot of Sweetwater University classes. And so that's kind of the opposite, right? There's no perk there. You're actually taken away from your business, but you go in and you invest in these young people, maybe not so young you know, people's lives who are trying to get to, onto the same sales floor as you, and you're walking them through, you know, whatever it's product stuff or if it's sales stuff, you get to actually kind of help them along the way of saying, hey, this is some of the stuff you're going to be running into. Let's work on these chops now or like let's strengthen this part of your salesmanship. And so when you do come out on the sales floor, man, you're going to be ready for that. And so I love that part of it. That, that's fantastic for me is just to get in front of people and say, hey, I've been in your shoes. I'm not, I'm not the know-it-all, but I've learned a lot and this is what I've learned. And so it's, just, it's a great role to play. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the perks, right? Um, and, and and we always want to be, we always want to be careful because we want our, our leaders to be feel really good about what they're doing, yeah. not like it's just drudgery that they're being dragged through. So you always want to have some cool stuff there. And one big one, right, is 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 having access to um, uh, help from an account coordinator. Um, so every neighborhood has sales engineers and one, maybe two account coordinators, okay. and those are uh, like sales ad admin folks that. Yeah that uh, really are, are kind of like the glue that holds the whole thing yeah. together. Like, uh, we couldn't do it without them. They, um, for the whole neighborhood, those are the people who, um, hey, if I'm out today, they're gonna forward the voicemails to everybody. They're gonna check my email, make sure stuff gets delegated right. But for those neighborhood leaders, um, you know, the account coordinators, uh, they, they can do, you know, a variety of other stuff that actually helps them build their business, right? So, um, all sorts of administrative tasks like, writing up purchase orders, putting together big yeah. quotes, figuring out all that kind of stuff that um, can take a long time. Uh, so that's a perk. Yeah, there's some other, you know, um, little things for the leaders. Um, but like you said, I always felt it uh, when I was a neighborhood leader. Like it was just, it was fun to be just out in front and helping people along. And, you know, from time to time too, we do contests, um, whether they're vendor sponsored or internal that, you know, neighborhoods, uh, you know, they compete as a unit, right? Yeah. So like the yellow tag, uh, promo like we do this thing every year it's you know kind of a very retail uh, salesy kind of thing like we've got a bunch of demo and B stock and open stuff we've got yeah. open box stuff we've got to get rid of so we're gonna call those yellow tag and, and how many of those items can you you know uh, 
can you uh, get out out of here? And uh, I remember last year, Nate, you, you went you went wild with your we neighborhood. Did. We had uh, with the yellow tag. So what promo. happens is a sales neighborhood is always paired up with another department, whether it's the distribution in this, center in this particular program, or yeah. marketing, purchasing, admin, reception, anything. So you're paired up and you're like a team. So you compete. And so I wanted to kind of go above and beyond. And so we made kind of yellow land. We made a huge yellow tent on the sales floor and right. got some yellow LEDs. And nice. we, it was crazy. We actually were paired up with the DC and we brought up, it was probably, you know, a handful of them that are really, I mean, there's not a lot of relationship there. You don't, we don't really see each other that often. So yeah. we were trying to bridge that gap. So we just brought coffee and donuts for them, had them come up. We just said, meet us under the tent and we're just gonna hang out for a little bit and we got to know them, which is great. So we see them now in the hallway, we're like, hey, remember the tent yeah. thing, that was awesome. And yeah, we just had fun with it. You know, Instead of it just being kind of like a boring like sales push, we just made it fun and yeah. it was just great. You know? Well, that's great. I, I think the value proposition is always a play and there's always economics to value propositions, but often, uh, often it doesn't necessarily need to to cost anything or it doesn't have to be crazy incentives what you guys are describing is the the value proposition is actually following through on the supportive stuff of community right so let's take this huge team that keeps growing exponentially that we can't have a hard time getting our hands around completely to keep it all together because it just keeps growing so how do you make take something very big make it small make it personal meet the personal relational goals in order for making them get up and going from a practical standpoint as fast as possible, but also making sure they're gonna stick around and be supported in order for the success to happen. And so it sounds like that is the value proposition that is like, this helped me, this had the value proposition and now like I wanna be a part of it and wanna make it succeed because it, it makes a huge difference for us all. And you guys have just learned since 2002 how to really kind of keep the energy going. And I think it's important. I think uh, we have a lot to learn from that kind of mentality in any community that we are part of. Those are some of, the, some of the characteristics that I was hoping to learn. So you mentioned, Nate, about the idea of like this, this doesn't just stay at work. It, it does bleed over into personal life. Uh, what are some of the intentional or unintentional things that are happening from the neighborhood inside Sweetwater that ends up becoming personal and outside. You moved from California, like, yep. I'm sure there, there was a part of like your friend circle yeah. that has become coworkers, right? Or yeah, teams. and so I came you know, from Los Angeles or Long Beach for a city of transplants to come here where a lot of people are <laughs> doing the same thing, which is very kind of uncommon for people to be flooding to Fort Wayne, Indiana, but from around the world. But they're coming here, some have family, some don't. And so I just, I mean, I'm, ex- extroverted just in general so I just love getting people together networking stuff like that so when it comes to me saying hey let's continue this like we've already built this kind of band of brothers let's just let's hang out right like let's go grab a happy hour let's actually go you know everybody came over to my house one night for a jam where we just all set up guitar amps and drums and everyone just lit up because they were just playing with their coworker. would yeah. you know imagine any other you know, work environment you know people come over to their house to jam it would sound pretty crappy but it was actually unbelievable. People were trading fours and soloing. I was just like, this is amazing. So we're going to, of course, do that again. But even to like kind of grouping together um, funds for, you know, other charitable events and stuff like that, too. What 
my uh, church and our small group, we actually sponsor and adopt a, a elementary class at Abbott Elementary. Yeah. And so we do about four or five different events for them a year. And it's just this one class that we do. But to actually open the doors here at Sweetwater with our neighborhood and say, hey, this is what me and my family are doing. Do you guys want to you know, come in on it and raise some more money? Oh, my gosh. They were so eager to, to join. And so we've been able to do a Christmas program for this class at Abbott. We've been able to do a Valentine's program. We just did a, a, a school closing uh, party with them and our neighborhoods were able to get involved and kind of see the fruit of that and really just kind of invest not only just in our actual neighborhood but invest in the community too which has been unbelievable so it's been great that's great you have any thoughts on that yeah you know it's um i I just echo a lot of what what nate said you know uh the cool thing about i think one of the coolest things about having a small group of people uh 8 10 12 14 people is like and you guys can accomplish so much together, like whether it's fundraising or doing a, uh, an actual like project where you're going to, out to accomplish something. Um, you can accomplish so, so much more than one person can. But uh, if you were trying to get two or four or 500 people to buy in and work together, that can sometimes be, yeah. it's tough to get that momentum going, right? I mean, it's a big ship to turn. So, uh, you know, over the years I just found if like, had any kind of idea or somebody in my neighborhood had an idea like hey here's something we, we want to accomplish whether it's a charity like I know Robbie Resnick with is it Soren Hawk uh, a, a yeah. Raptor Rescue he does a yeah. bunch of stuff with them um, we do stuff with the Angel Tree you know um, and United Way and stuff like that too um, Salvation Army um, and we uh, it, it's just amazing to be able to say hey guys I got this idea right like such and such person could use a pick-me-up they worked really really hard what if we do this thing? Yeah. Um, can we throw together some money and get them a something, something? Sure. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, we have 450 bucks here. Like this yeah. person's getting, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's amazing how that stuff can just get that momentum. And I don't think you'd be able to do it if you were just a lone voice out there yeah. you know, shouting at 100 people or more. That's awesome. Culture is a big part. Every company, no matter how big it is, is trying to figure out what the right culture is for them to motivate employees, keep them engaged, retain them, develop them all those types of things. Do you think what what you're doing here with the neighborhoods is reproducible? I know sometimes things grow organically and they are the life of the leader and it works well for a certain environment, but it doesn't always reproduce. I think often people look at NeighborLink and we've reproduced nationally, but uh, it's just different in each city that we go because of what it took to get there. And then, yeah, you got some things that you can put together, but how much do you guys think is reproducible versus you know really is about the people there in order for it to really make work um i think it's so important to have one or two or three people on board first right like if you can find that that first follower i don't know have you ever seen the leadership lessons from a dancing guy video on youtube if you haven't look it up it's amazing but it talks about the first follower oh yeah 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 yeah. and it's just so important right if you can find that uh, it's amazing how far you can go with one or two supporters who are of the same mind. Yeah. You know, I think no matter where you are, because um, then that starts to catch fire and, and you often work really hard towards something for a long time and don't see any gains, but then it, it just starts happening. Um, so I would say that's probably the, the key thing, right? Like both living it out yourself and like working hard and, um, and, and, and doing what you expect the people around you to do tirelessly. And if you can find one or two other people who exude that same thing, uh, at least it's been my experience that generally, no matter where you are, it, it seems like that can, you know, reproduce this kind of thing. You get, you start to get some, some, um, 
some brotherhood, some camaraderie, and, and can put together a group of five, 10, 15 people doing something pretty exemplary. But that's not to say it's not really tough, too. Sure. Yeah. Let's say you ad adopt the idea, right? The concept is great, but yeah, I'm sure how many times it's probably changed a hundred times since we started it, right? Yeah. So you have to adapt yeah. and be flexible with what your strengths are and say, okay, this really worked last year. This was terrible. Let's, let's go ahead and, you know, cut that and then let's continue to grow with what's going on. So I think absolutely it's growable, but it'll never look like what Sweetwater does, right? It'll look like something else that another company's stronger at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You talked about retention rate. Retention rate is, in, uh, is really high here, right? It's insane. Well, it's almost, you can't find anywhere else in MI or the music industry that has this. That's what was so attractive to me, too. I'm not looking necessarily for a, a temporary stepping stone to a career. I'm looking for a career. And so, yeah, yeah when you have people celebrating 27, 28-year anniversaries, it's like, mm -hmm. in this industry, that, that's never a thing. And especially probably in the, in the job description. Like, sales jobs just in general nationally turn sure. over very quickly because of the demand, the yeah. pressure. Like making 100 phone calls a day like that's that's tough work unless you're just really wired and not everyone's wired that they can yeah. start it and try but you guys have figured figured that out well, there's a lot that goes into it too yeah, right because um, part of you know uh, i think one of the things that can just tank somebody in a sales job too is you come into a company that's got great ideas but a lack of you know customers or marketing and, and you come out and you're busting your chops here and 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 you don't get anything in you know in return that's tough for a commission person but um, fortunately, you know, we've got the last 40 years of Chuck's hard work and all the people uh, who came in after him who built this, this thing that we don't want to yeah. ruin. You know what I mean? We want to build it up. And so fortunately, we've got so many good new customers finding us. And, and um, that's one of the, uh, the beautiful things that you come in here, you start working as a salesperson. And if, if you put in the work, there is more or less a promise that, man, there's there's opportunity here. You're not yeah. gonna you're not gonna starve or suffer, um, and I don't think that's really common in a lot of sales environments. I I like I said I teach a, a couple of the Sweetwater University classes, and so I get the the people who are coming in like two weeks in, and I really kind of frame it as this, right? So Chuck started this company in, in, in a, of course, a, a VW bus, but also yeah. in his home. He opened yeah. his home to the first couple employees. And so, honestly, just framing it of don't look at it as the huge sweet water it is. Pretend that Chuck gives you the keys to his house as employee number two and says, hey, run this business for me. And yeah. so if you have that mindset, gosh, I mean, it's way different than saying, oh, man, if I screw up, it'll fall back on, you know, a couple hundred people. But no, be like, no, I'm going to help Chuck su succeed. I want this Sweetwater thing to grow. And so if you have that mindset, it, it just kind of works. Yeah. Well, I think it permeates because so many people do. And, and you're talking about, you know, turnover and retention. I want to say every year I've been here that I've been aware of it. I mean, our turnover is, in our department at least, sales is in the vicinity of about 10%, which is uh, astronomically low, both in our field of work sales yeah. and in our industry too, you know, MI. So it's been cool. Well, a big part of this podcast, this is uh, really exciting. I'm always really curious about organizational cultures and places that are focused on its people more than just bottom line stuff and is connected. And so this has been really interesting for me. And I'm sure those that, that tune in are also as well. There's lots of people that are really interested in Sweetwater's growth and, and success. And I think it's clear today that the focus on people and creating community uh, is the mo one of the most significant parts about the growth and the success. Uh, one of the, the things that I love the most uh, about the sales process from what I know is how customer focused and relational it is more than it is just purely about transactions that 
if you focus on the relationships, the, the transactions will come. Like, it's a service mindset. And it, that's a big part of the culture, I think, as well. So to kind of wrap up here, I'm really curious, uh, Nate Burkhardt, what, from your perspective, what does it mean to be a good neighbor as a coworker at Sweetwater? Like, what does it mean to be a good neighbor in a neighborhood at Sweetwater? Sure. I think internally it means exactly what we were just talking about, right? Just not necessarily in it for your own business, but you know, lending a hand where you need. If it's a teaching moment or if it's actually getting in with another you know, sales engineer's customer, walking them through the process, uh, walking them through a sale, a quote, a product that they're interested in, that's, that's huge uh, because it's not you know, every man for themselves. It's let's grow this thing together, right? So my business is going to grow from it. Your business is going to grow from it. We're going to have better relationships with our customers, which means, of course, more um, customers coming back, more people having a, a fantastic experience saying, hey, you know, John wasn't available, but Nate stepped in and took care of me. That was awesome. You know, I'm going to send my musician friends your way to make sure you get the same experience. Um, it it, it just speaks volumes uh, because a lot of companies aren't necessarily built that way. It's like, hey, you know, I don't have time for that. You know, that customer's gonna have to wait till they yeah. get back. Which is like, no, we care about the relationship. We care about the people. So yeah, Nate Edwards, what does it mean to be a good neighbor with your customers? With our customers, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and the way I see it, um, I think no matter who you're talking to, um, to be a good neighbor is to. I think there's kind of two things at least from my perspective. A, right, like uh, knowing that, man, we've got something really cool here that we want to defend and maintain, uh, whether that's our physical neighborhood or a group of friends or work or whatever, and that it can be even better five and 10 and 20 years from now and like chasing that. But then B, um, like Nate said, like being like Chuck, inviting people into your home, you know, metaphorically or literally or whatever, you know, when you look at what Sweetwater does on any given year, you know, a few weeks from now, we're going to have Gear Fest where 15, 16,000 customers are going to descend on Fort Wayne from all over, you know, all over the country. Um, and it's not something you have to pay to go to, right? You just come and we've got workshops, we've got, um, you know, good food. We've got all sorts of like industry luminaries here teaching classes and doing shows. And it's always pretty wild. Uh, I mean, thousands and thousands of people here come for that. And it's really not you know, built necessarily for any kind of like immediate payoff for us. It's just like, man, we get to go out and meet people yeah. that we usually we only get to meet on the phone, right? Uh, as far as customers go. And um, that's really pretty awesome. Um, or if you look around, you know, if you're only listening to the audio of the podcast, you, you, you won't quite get this, but on the video, right? We've got the warehouse behind us. We were set up, what, 10 minutes ago yeah. over on the mezzanine over here where we had to move because of the skee-ball sounds, right? And Chuck's built like a free arcade, right? Um, for customers and employees to come and enjoy and uh, cafeteria where, you know, employees, our families come all the time and we just are, you know, open the door, you know, let yeah. people in um, and, and treat them like family. And that might sound kind of trite, but it's cool to be at a place that actually does leave that out in a pretty real way. Might sound shy, but the next time you come to Sweetwater, you'll know exactly what, uh, yeah. what he's talking about. So come to Northeast Indiana and come to Sweetwater. Please do. Play ice ball yeah. and uh, <laughs> get a coffee from yeah. a coffee shop and buy a guitar on your way out, right? Why not? Yes. Sounds great. Guys, thanks for uh, joining on this Absolutely. episode of Neighboring and sharing about uh, the way you guys are trying to figure out to be good neighbors, good coworkers, good professionals in this environment. And thanks for your investment in Northeast Indiana and uh, really a charitable community. Sweetwater is one of the most charitable uh, companies in all of the region, not just 
from the leader, but really from top down and in different ways. And so that's a huge part of it. And we've received the benefit of that over the years. So we're grateful for that. Thanks for uh, tuning into this episode of Neighboring. We'll be back soon with uh, more discussions on what it means to be a good neighbor.